This podcast is not intended for children. If you are one, stop listening. The opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of the employers of these podcasters. Now, Mad Dudes 2049. Welcome to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. I am dude number one. My name is Richard. I'm dude two, Joe. I'm still not used to that. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm trying. But I'm just not used to it at this moment. It's okay. (laughs) So... Um, yes, welcome to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the podcast in which, well, you know, two dudes watch two movies and talk about it. Yeah, I'll work on that. Um, before we get into things, we do have a bit of sad news, a uh, very unfortunate passing of a legend. Uh, Joey, would you like to discuss that? Yes, so Ennio Morricone, the very much, very talented, very famous composer behind the Sergio Leone uh, Dollars films behind the Hateful Eight score, behind um, so many movies. His sound was a unique sound in cinema. I think his music, like, you know, like John Williams sort of defines like the, the Hollywood blockbuster. I feel like Morricone does the same thing, but with the Western, particularly the spaghetti Western, whenever you hear, ah! You instantly think of the West or go, you know, that's, that's him. Incredibly tragic. Um, I, I remember the, probably the first time hearing his music was probably in the thing, which I love the great movie. And it also shows that he has a nice amount of range when it comes to his, uh, scores. So he's, he's does all types of things and so he'll 110 percent be missed anyway uh joey how are you how how you been i can't complain i just started uh work back up again which is which is kind of nice working a couple hours a day here and there you know a couple days a week it's nice to get back into some type of rhythm or routine with that i've sort of sorely been without for the last couple of months but it's nice to get a, a sort of schedule day to day, knowing going to have that for a while. I'm I'm feeling pretty good. I've been watching some good stuff on uh, you know on on TV and well not TV because uh, I don't have regular TV right now. Just who does? <laughs> I've been watching who Hamilton. Has that I'm just watching Hamilton. <laughs> I've been watching Hamilton on a repeat. Lot. <laughs> on repeat. On loop. I'm obsessed. Whatever. I mean. <laughs> I mean, Joey, it's it's on Disney Plus, and you're not going to give up your shot to watch Ham. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Um, but I've also I was great. actually yeah. <laughs> I, I was showing my mom uh, Hamilton. She hasn't finished it yet, but she's already like you know when, when New York opens up, opens back up again, she would want to see that show. So that's that's hopefully, really a good hopefully sign. it's a. Right. Hopefully, it's affordable. Affordable cause... and safe. Yeah, yeah. Affordable two, and two safe. Keys. But you know what? We'll figure that out later. For the meantime, I'm just gonna listen to the soundtrack. Uh, wish that was in the room where it happened. 
But what else was I doing? Oh, I was watching the Superman movies because of our, our episode yes. last week. I think you and I have been kind of on a Superman kick for a little bit now, which is, there's no problem with that. That's amazing. More people should be on a Superman kick. I don't disagree with that. I mean, I have watched all three cuts of the original film, so I've spent over seven hours with Richard Donner's Superman, because I've watched the TV version, which is three (laughs) hours, the theatrical version, which is almost two and a half hours, and the special edition, which is two and a half hours. Then I watched Superman 2, both versions, the Richard Donner and the Richard Lester versions, all right? Superman 3, which would be fine if it didn't have, I'm sorry, Richard Pryor is funny in just about anything else except Superman 3. Just sticks out a little bit. You know what? And I think he would probably be the first one to agree with me if he was still alive. Rest in peace. I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would. Superman 4, the quest for peace, more like the quest for slashed budgets. This thing looked so cheap. I forgot how cheap this thing was. It was <laughs> It was like I was watching a direct-to-VHS movie Oh my gosh, it was, poor Christopher Reeve too, I mean he, that's the thing with these movies is that Christopher Reeve, like, you know, we we don't appreciate the quality of a lot of superhero movies these days, I feel like, like some of the ones that we just feel like whatever about would have been like the greatest movies ever back like 20, 30 years ago, and then we have Christopher Reeve, he is putting his all in every single one of these movies, I mean Superman 3 when he fights himself, he's evil Superman versus Clark Kent, that's some great cinema right there. That's way better than any sort of fight that I've ever seen. It's great. He absolutely relished and admired and just, he knew what he was, he knew the role he was undertaking. And so he, he put 110% every single time. So it's just, it's sad when it just goes like you, you, you kind of start at the top with Superman and then. When you get to Superman 4, very, it just kind of goes down. Very steady decline. But on that note, I also watched, more important to this conversation, another Superman movie with you, Superman Returns. Yeah, yeah, we did that. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> oh, man. I don't even care to get into Superman Returns, but it is uh, very relevant to the conversation because, and this is going to require some context, mostly because I've tried to look up and see if there was a term for this. So far, I have not found anything. If you guys see anything, please let me know anywhere at all. Nostalgia is kind of a big thing in Hollywood right now. There's so many uh, remakes and reboots of like all these old things, but there's like this kind of specific kind of of movie that I've started calling revival films, like revival movies, which are basically like reboots, but they're also sequels to like old franchises that usually are like decades old or a decade old or maybe a little bit newer. And some, and typically like uh, an actor or actress, whomever from the original movie shows up for like a big nostalgia trip. Like, Oh my God. And uh, Superman returns is kind of a, example of that actually minus the the old act i don't think any of the old actors showed up in that movie but it is very much still within that parameter because it's a reboot and it's a sequel to the donner films and you do have brand obviously he didn't he never intended to be in superman returns but you do have the brando yes i think some of its unused brando footage that was used in superman returns it has that one link it has that one link to the original um, exactly, the original yeah. property that it's going off of. Like I said, there's a lot of examples of this. There's uh, Halloween, there's Jurassic World, 
There's uh, Doctor Sleep is kind of a is kind of like that. It's a, but it, that one's a little complicated. But uh, we're talking about two of our absolute favorite examples of this. And the first one we're going to talk about is a little movie that came out in 2015 called Mad Max Fury Road, or as I like to call it, Max Mad Road Fury. Or at least that's what he wrote down in his notes when we were coming up with double features to do. <laughs> Yeah, like at our mad, in our mad, like, burst of ideas the night we came up with this podcast, I just wrote down so many double features, and just one of them just turned out to be Max Mad Road Fury, which sounds like an amazing movie. I would totally watch it. If it's got the same people involved, it'd just be, like, kind of backwards, but that's fine. That's kind of what the movie does. (laughs) Anyway, it just goes back and forth, so it works. So, regarding Mad Max, this is, uh, it's not one among the the most prestigious franchises, it's not, it doesn't hold the same exact appeal as something, say, like a DC property, or Marvel, or Star Wars, but they've been kicking around for a bit. What is your, was your connection to the Mad Max films uh, before uh, Road Fury, or Fury Road? Funny enough, like a lot of things in my life, it stems from reading comics and just a lot of different comics that I were, that I've been reading a lot of different other things that I consume. And then you hear like what the inspiration is for whatever that is. So like I was reading a comic called true lies of the fabulous killjoys, which uh, was written and uh, created by Gerard way for uh, a CD that he did with his band, my chemical romance. And one of the heavy inspirations for that comic was Mad Max, and you could easily see it if you look at the art. Google it, it's amazing. Becky Cloonan drew it. She's absolutely fantastic. She actually drew the cover for the Criterion release of Pan's Labyrinth, fun fact. And so, just through... There you go. Yeah, there you go. And so, just through that connection, I was curious to see uh, what Mad Max was, because if that that was an inspiration, I was like, I'm definitely down for that. And of course... um, a couple years later, they would make the new movie that we're talking about today, and it's it's just a really like unique like series of action films that have kind of become almost like a staple in like the post apocalyptic uh, type movie with like their BDSM style, the the leather outfit, you know, like the shoulder pads. Like Ma- Max famously has one shoulder pad. Because because two is bogus and one is awesome. Let's be honest. <laughs> and <laughs> let's also think about it in practical terms. They probably could only afford one shoulder pad. Uh, yeah, it's honestly. Like with the <laughs> man, <laughs> the man with no name series, they had one poncho, one hat, one set of clothes for him. That's all That's you get. It. If it got lost, they were screwed. <laughs> exactly. That's it. You, you get what you get, and you don't get upset. Just be happy you have something, okay? God, I'm sorry. Happy feet, preferably. <laughs> Brumch reference. Uh, <laughs> you know what? That also works because they're, it's set in the wasteland, and they can only find one shoulder pad anyway. They're popular clothing items during this time, so if you, if you can find one, just be happy. It's like a backpack with one strap. You got a strap. Go for it. That's like all you need right there, man. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I checked out the movies, and then of course um, I saw the new one in theaters, like right when it came out, and that was probably one of the 
best movie going experiences I've ever had, hands down. It's it was so fun. Just the the, uh, the just the insane nature of everything, the colors, the stunts, everything. It's such an amazing movie. My first time seeing it, I had of course heard of the Mad Max franchise. I'd never seen any of the other movies before Fury Road. And I went with a bunch of my friends, and it was one of the most exhilarating experiences I've ever had in a movie theater. With something I sort of just went in as like a blind watch. Like, I didn't, I wasn't following this movie too much. I heard some good things that I heard people talk about. I knew there was a new Mad Max coming out. But it wasn't, I was like, ooh, I'm dying to see uh, this other movie with Tom Hardy. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And then, I'm like, wow. This movie, with which happens to have Tom Hardy in it, is pretty great. Were you exhausted after watching it a little bit? Like, were you just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yes. But exhausted in a good way, though. Because there's some movies that will exhaust you because they are boring and dull. But this one is exhausting because you are at the edge of your seat, pumped for the entire two hours. It's it's. Whenever I look at the runtime, I laugh because it says two hours, zero minutes, nothing more, nothing less. Perfect. Perfect. It's just a perfect line. Perfect. And the crazy thing is the entire movie is just a car chase. It's a car chase from one location to another and then back to the other location. Yet there's just so much that happens in it. And it just it blows your mind to pieces. You, And then you're just tired. You want to take a nap after watching it. You're just, I'm, I'm done for the day. I watched Mad Max. I'm taking a nap. <laughs> a lot of that, I, uh, in addition, of course, all the uh, stuntmen and women involved in these productions can be attributed to the the, the Mad Max, uh, you know, mind himself, George Miller. The the maestro, the, the magician, whatever, whatever word you wanted to say. This is his baby. He's been doing Mad Max... Since, I think, 79 was when the first one came out. It's a character that's never left him. And, I mean, it makes sense. Max Rakitansky is a character that, if you created him, will probably be stuck in your head for the rest of your life. So, <laughs> um, he's been he's been making all these movies. And they're, I think they're making a prequel or something with, uh, with uh, Furiosa. Sadly, not Charlize Theron. Yeah, I heard that she was heartbroken. That's, because, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you get the reasoning for why. But at the same time, oh. also whoever plays that character has some shoes to fill. So you better you better deliver. Those some boots you got to fill. And, and that's those some boots and a uh, cool prosthetic like scrapyard arm that you have to fill. Yeah. So I guess we should we should mention the 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 actors in this film. Of course, I mentioned Tom Hardy. Charlie Charlize Theron is in this movie. Of course. Of course. Of course. We got. Wow, she's oh my god, she and she's the she's the star of the movie too. Like that's that's something that I know we've talked about. That uh, you know people sometimes say like you know oh it's it's Mad Max. Why isn't it about Max? It's like he's he's a drifter. He's a lone he's a lone wolf. He's a myth. He's a legend. He's just going from wasteland end to wasteland end, and he's sees an issue. Typically, he tries to do something about it for himself, like a personal selfish gain. But then he's like, he has a moral code. So he's like, well, crap, now I got to help them. And then he just goes about his, his, the rest of his life. And so the movie is focused very much on Furiosa. And like I said, Charlie Saren, absolutely hardcore awesome. She, and she matches the, like, I think Tom Hardy's crazy. 
as well. They have like they're not they're obviously not a romantic pairing. So for some people might say like it's a weird say, thing to say chemistry, but the chemistry as far as these two characters who they just get on each other's nerves throughout the movie, but sometimes there there are instances where one of them recognizes, okay, maybe you might be better at doing this than I am. Maybe you got it. You should take care of of that. You know, it's never just like, well, Matt, Mac, Mad Max is the main character, so therefore he's got to do everything because he's the dude and he is Mad Max. He's the brand. Or it's like, no. Sometimes there are instances where, like the the famous scene with the, with the sniper, he wasted yes some shots as she comes up behind him. And he he gives her he gives her the gun. I even like like the annoyed expression on his face, just like fine. <laughs> and then she then just precise gets it. I also love I love the scene when like more or less they first meet, and it's just a violent fight. To like, just, it's not even just like choreographed. It's like who is gonna hit who first? Who is gonna bleed first? It is a brawl, and. It's it's like it's it's a Mad Max version of a of a greeting. I think it's and it's it's just kind of sets the tone for the rest of the movie. In mentioning uh, the the actors in this, we talk about with these um, revival movies or these legacy films, somebody coming back from the original series or film to make an appearance of some kind. And in any other franchise, I feel like that in any other franchise or if any other situation, Mel Gibson would have come back, but. Due to a lot of things, <laughs> it's safe to say, yeah. But we do have somebody come back from that original Mad Max series in this movie. Yes, we do. Thank God it's not Mel Gibson. It's uh, the actor Hugh Keys Byrne. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, he plays Toe Cutter, uh, who's the main villain in the original Mad Max film. And this is actually kind of unique because I feel like most films like this have just like that same actor play that same character. But of course... The difference being Toe Cutter dies, spoiler alert, in Mad Max. <laughs> and so in the new one, he plays Immortan Joe. And um, one of the things that you brought up that made me think of like the Spaghetti Western is this idea that you can take somebody who was in the previous film and just recast them as a different character. Mm -hmm. In the, the, the Dollars trilogy, so to speak, you have Lee Van Cleef, who plays like one of the quote unquote good guy characters in that. But then in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, he plays Angel Eyes, and he, he certainly ain't an angel. He's a terrible person, completely different character as as well. But, you know, it's sort of a different situation, but kind of, it does make me think back to, like, those. And also, um, in a, another weird way, the Universal Monsters, where you have Dwight Fry, who played Renfield. Right, yeah. Dracula, he pops up in Frankenstein as Fritz. Then he plays a Fritz like character in Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> and he, I think he pops up in a couple, couple of the other, um, couple of the other films. Shout out to Dwight, the late great Dwight Fry. Really like really terrific, underrated. actor. Massive shout out. And it's funny you mentioned the Western too, because at its core, that's kind of what these movies are, which, you know, easily explains like the, the lone drifter aspect, the, the the wasteland aspect just kind of trade you know horses for souped up v8 muscle cars and uh, uh like i said bds and m gear which is essentially like the cowboy hat that's yeehaw <laughs> Woo! but that's kind of what i i like about some movies is that like i like when movies take like a core genre that we, that you know and then kind of turn it on its head so mad max is like if you combined a western and heavy metal music and then, like, 
through it in Australia. That's essentially what you would get. But speaking of Australia, I wanted to get into some details about the production on this. And you're more familiar with it mm. than I am. You're a huge fan of this movie. I love it. Um, the production, as I understand it, was not a particularly no. easy one. <laughs> partly because of the filming locations. Can you elaborate on that? I mean, there's a lot of, lot of stuff that happened with this movie. So... If I remember correctly, I know George Miller wanted to make the movie in Australia where he'd made the other movies, but unfortunately what happened was in the location they were going to film, where it hadn't rained for a decade at least, it finally rained when they were going to start doing stuff, and like flora and fauna started growing, and so they had to wait like 18 months to like before it would like revert back, and then they just like got tired of waiting so they just went and filmed in africa and that was just like like i said that's just the tip of the iceberg with the production situation with this movie because like like famously tom hardy and charlie saren not feuded but they like didn't like have like a chemistry per se they just didn't like hang out on set or anything so like like for example if Tom Hardy would like stay in character a little bit and so he would be like mumbling to himself you know as Tom Hardy probably does in his regular life um <laughs> and so like and then Charlie Sarah would get out of character and want to like you know mingle with people and like talk to maybe like Zoe Kravitz and George Miller and probably Hugh Keys burn when he's not in his scary Morton Joe mask just with teeth will you bring some for me and then she just brings him a sandwich and he goes mediocre <laughs> Um, but but yes then you just got like tom hardy just like to himself just mumbling just like yeah trying to try to that was my review of this movie on letterbox was uh just just tom hardy (laughs) noises it's yeah it's so accurate um but yeah, so and then even Tom Hardy feuded with George Miller because half the time Tom Hardy had no idea what George was doing. I mean, he didn't really have like a like a like he had just had like storyboards, if I if I remember correctly. Just there wasn't like a script; it was all storyboards, which is kind of unique. But it makes sense for a movie like this because this movie is just like a visual like masterpiece. Yeah, I was actually thinking back to a video that I, I might have to send you from uh, Red Letter Media where they did a review of The Road Warrior and they were talking about Fury Road because, of course, those two films are like, you were saying this to me in, in a recording at one point, that Fury Road is is The Road Warrior on an acid trip. Yes, yes. And I think that's a very <laughs> apt description, but they were talking about it and it's like, Fury, I mean, there's some gritty parts in Fury Road, but it's almost, it's like a piece of art. It's so beautiful and vibrant and visually pleasing. But when you watch something like The Road Warrior, it's very gritty. It's, there's not much flash to it at all. There's, it's a dark world. You do not want to live in that world at all. It's so dirty. And the funny thing was too, I think George Miller wanted, like, we talk about like the, like the, the, the colors and like the, the visual aspect. George Miller initially wanted to do it in black and white, but then Warner Brothers was like, nah, uh uh-uh, we'll let you do everything else, but nah, (laughs) but he got to do it anyway, so he, they did a limited release with, uh, I think it was called the black and chrome version, and and, uh, it got a Blu-ray release as well, the visual, oh my god, the visuals in that movie are spectacular, it's one of those movies that it's kind of like, you know, people say style over substance, I feel like this movie is an example of style 
is substance, like a, like a, like a silent movie in a way. Like, you know, there's no talking. It's mostly just like the story's driven by what you're looking at, as opposed to like what you're being told. And we don't get a lot of movies like that. You know, we don't get movies that really like treat cinema as like a like a full on visual medium anymore. And and sometimes I think people are maybe somewhat afraid of that because of the style over substance factor. They're like, oh, people are going to think this, there's nothing here. But it's like, if you do it right, and you're, you're, you have a vision like George Miller does, you can achieve it and, and go on to get a Best Picture nomination and a Best Director nomination, oddly enough. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought that the fourth Mad Max movie would be like a 90-something percent in Rotten Tomatoes... A decent, a, yeah, it was like ninety-seven, yeah, something like a decent hit at the box office, and and like just the, so many Academy Award nominations. I mean, a lot of them were technical, but still, the sheer amount of award nominations and awards that this thing picked up for a a a, a car chase movie, literally effective. I'm not trying to like diminish it. It's just like it's crazy to think it's, about. It's, it's insane to think about. It's like how like how could a movie that again is about going from one place to another and back again, <laughs> do this. And it's because George Miller and everybody involved, like, they, they, they pushed it to the limit. They used what they had. They had it. They, they just drove forward. I was trying so hard not to use that pun, but it happened. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But it's just, <laughs> oh, that's there. But it's just, you don't see movies like that get that kind of prestigious, like, acknowledgement. Uh, maybe maybe a little bit more now, like, but the only other movies I can think of are, like, Avatar, maybe, is one. Um, you know, like, Mar like uh, Black Panther uh, and Joker, in a way. But, like, Mad Max, I think... But those are very... Yeah. Yeah. Those are very specific, unique examples as is mad max it, it, i think it's certainly one of the most unique films to ever be nominated for best picture to think about that this is this is a, a effectively you know a story where you're going from one place to another but it's also like for a franchise like mad max you think it's very masculine macho franchise right. but at the heart of it is a story about about women obviously furiosa mm -hmm. but also the women trying to escape this oppressive warlord who's just trying to impregnate them you know, and they all have their own little contributions. They have their own pieces of character to them. And some of these people have been in other movies that are not so good, but it's like they're able to shine. Like the one actress who was like a model and she was like in that Transformers uh, movie. I always forget her name. Rose Huntington Whitley or Whiteley? Whitley? I thought I thought she was pretty good. She in was this. very good. You know, she played her part well. She she was absolutely fantastic. And uh that's it's just three dimensional characters. Admittedly, it's not hard to to do. I mean, you just got to put the work into it, and like, who is this character, and and then just what what would they do in this situation? Well, they would probably X, Y, and Z, you know, and and that again, I, I attribute that to. And also, I know I'm kind of just going off on it, but speaking of the feminist thing, you know, mind you, this movie was written by three dudes, but they actually brought in. Like a feminine, like they they brought in like uh like what's her name? I don't remember her name. This is, I should have prepared for that, but uh, they actually brought someone in, obviously, to like come in and like help with that element of it to like you know, teach the the all the actresses that played 
the wives essentially and or not teach them but like talk to them about that and it helped them like get their characters involved to get them get them more like you know into like into the story and into the like help them develop who their characters were essentially you know and you know what i think is it also impressive is nicholas holt's character Wabai! sorry <laughs> because that could that could just be like such a goofy character such a silly character but he, it, it's so meaningful like that his acting oh, is so good in this movie he doesn't i don't think he i don't think he gets enough credit maybe honestly that might that might be i don't know if anyone else feels like that but i feel like i feel like that for sure yeah i i just i will say on that note of nicholas holt's character the whole world of mad max is it feels like there it has these essential ingredients like the way characters look the way they dress i feel like each movie almost distinctly looks like something brand new so like when we get to the when we get to Fury Road like we we meet the War Boys, and they're, they're all like you know painted like dust white almost, and then you have um, like all the character all these different people who have been affected by the fallout and radiation poisoning, which is kind of hinted at in some of the other movies, but um, it's just I like that each one feels different and it almost makes like like i know we've talked about this i know it kind of it makes each movie feel like its own thing so you don't you almost don't have to watch the other mad max movies it's very true with this movie it's like it feels it feels like a standalone thing if you never knew about mad max if you never you never knew about any of that stuff which was like i never watched any of that stuff before it it just feels like such a wholly unique experience and what one of the things i want to talk about with some of the visual stuff it's just a like we know we talk about how such a visual treat it is but it's such a wonderful combination of of the of techniques like the practical stunts the c the cg the, the cg elements that are present in the film i think they're effectively used very well 100 percent. real quick eve ensler who's the author of the vagina monologues She's the one that George Miller had come in and she talked to the actors about, you know, uh, sexual abuse and, and rape and all the stuff that unfortunately the characters are going through in the movie. So that's who that was. Eve Ensler. I just want to make sure that I got that out there. So there you go. I'm happy I was able to do that. I just looked that up real quick. Gotcha. I'm using the computer in front of me for once. Normally it's just there to record my voice. We're getting we're getting better we're getting better with this <laughs> we're getting better at this. I know typically around this point is when I would ask you like if you would recommend this to a modern audience. Pretty sure I know the answer to that question already. It's a resounding yes, resounding yes. Flip and, and watch. Chances it. are, chances are you've probably already seen Fury Road or you've heard somebody else talk about Fury Road. And if you haven't seen Fury Road, just go, just check it out. I mean, I'm sure it's on any streaming service at the moment, or you could probably rent it on somewhere. You know, it, it's it's a great movie. Really, one of the best, one of the best action movies in quite some time, or might be one of the best action movies ever. Period. I would agree with that. I mean, it, even if you've seen it already, just watch it right. Watch it again. Watch it. I mean, don't watch it right now. We, we like we like having you listen. So after this, go watch it. Maybe even in the intermission, watch it. But either way, watch it. It's an absolutely amazing movie. You'll have a great time. It's got it's got style. It's got substance. It's got war boys. 
It's got a mumbling Tom Hardy who's just completely going crazy. It's got a awesome uh, Charlie Saron. It's just it's. I think it's George Miller's masterpiece. Honestly, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it deceptively simple in the best possible way. Boom. Boom. Anywho, time for a quick intermission. Go out to the lobby, get yourself a beverage or popcorn. I don't know, maybe Cheez-Its, who knows. Anyway, grab yourself a snack, and we're going to continue on with our discussion for another movie on part two. Stay tuned. back to two dudes one double feature we're uh we're gonna be going somewhere a little bit different than last time um a lot more crowded i could say than uh than the other location we were at but definitely a very different still somewhat kind of crazy future we're going to blade runner 2049 cue the hans zimmer bwam wow Sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, Blade Runner 2049, another sort of uh revival revival movie and definitely one of the better revival movies. This is of course a sequel to the 1982 sort of cult like at this point yeah, it's pretty much it's sort of like the big end of cult classics. When you think of cult classic movies, yeah. Blade Runner, because the initial release of the first Blade Runner was not successful. They had a Good Friday opening when they opened it, and then it sort of tanked at the box office. But it became a staple of like sort of like midnight screenings, and you know people got it on on home video, and it sort of developed a huge following over the years with the many cuts that they've put out. I think the Blu-ray edition comes with five different versions of the movie. There's the theatrical cut. There's the final cut, which is probably the one you'll find the most these days. There's the director's cut. There's Isn't there like an international cut? There's an international cut and some other versions. But we're not talking about the original. But we've, we, we need to present it to give you some context in that a studio decided to give like, I don't know, $200 million to Denny Villeneuve and make a sequel to a movie that flopped in theaters initially. They decided to do that. That's Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, it's the same studio that wanted to re-release Justice League, the Snyder Cut. So I guess I'm not as surprised. <laughs> Blade Runner 2049. I mean, Blade Runner was one of those movies, the original, where I always felt 
you never needed a sequel. I feel like most sequels, most sequels, you can say they're not needed. But Blade Runner was one of those movies where it was like very strongly, "What's the point in a Blade Runner two? I was going to see it anyway, but what are you going to do now?" It's definitely like just a great like self-contained story. Like you get you you get everything you need. It doesn't need to do much more than that, right? And I mean, obviously, there's different versions depending on who you're talking to, whether you're talking to Harrison Ford or Ridley Scott. But at the end of the day, it's still Blade Runner, and you don't really need another one, but they made one. And they, you know, they did an amazing job. One of the best sequels, I think, ever. What I like about it, one of the big things I like about it is, yes... It takes you into the, the world of Blade Runner. You're familiar with like the flying police cars and a bleak Los Angeles and the bright neon signs and all that. But the, the big thing with this is that there's a huge, huge amount of restraint in the storytelling. I feel like a big studio right. that would green that would green light this would want it to be much more action oriented cut at two hours, big explosions, lots of Harrison Ford, maybe some Sean Young and whatever, but no. But this movie isn't that. Like we were talking with Mad Max, this movie's at its core is like old school film noir, which is very character driven, very heavy shadows, very mysterious. In those types of movies, yeah, you have some like action-y moments. Sometimes you'll have little things here and there, but that's not what drives the story what drives the story is the mystery and the character and that's essentially what this movie is and what this movie does yeah i mean just there's so much to talk about this with this movie as far as like getting things right it gets what it really gets right it gets it gets the tone right so, so ver very much but it also it, it also gives us new characters and stuff to the point where it's easy to say that Ryan Gosling is just Deckard Part 2, but I think he's a much more interesting character than Deckard was in the first movie. For the little that he presents, even, because he, he's a, he's very reserved. Like, he still, he puts so much of his emotion on his face with even just, like, the, the slightest twitch, and you still, like, you still feel for him. And I think part of it, too, helps that, you know, he is... Um, unlike Deckard, even though there's that question that people ask, that especially Ridley Scott, whether or not he is or isn't, but um, Ryan Gosling's character is a replicant or the, uh, the robot species in the, in this series of movies, and so there's already that kind of ingrained sense of like he's belittled, he's looked down upon, but he just goes about his day as best as he can, dealing with the stuff that he has to deal with. There's so many great moments with him and when he does have to like let loose it makes those moments more impactful like when he when he's at the memory place and he finds out those those memories are not they weren't really his memories and he just loses oh, it yeah. man oh yeah he is so good the rest of the cast this is one of the big things too the cast in this is incredible and everyone fits their role perfectly gosling as as joe or agent k you know, whatever his, his serial number is, I don't remember it. He's Agent K. You know, he's yeah. right. He's the this, goose. I, I relate so much to that dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> I relate so much to that dilemma. Do I call him K or do I call him Joe? I don't know. But, <laughs> but yeah, Ana de Armas as Joy, she plays this role very well. It mm. could be so easy just to make it like just the 
the really like sexy, you know, virtual girlfriend. Right. But I feel like there's a lot more there with her character. She brings a lot more to the table than I guess a typical type of character in her in her position. She's a massive character not just in scale but in 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 narrative and and story and all that yep but obviously there's times she's like huge she's literally she's like, a, like a godzilla sized uh <laughs> character at points which is pretty great uh <laughs> so so and then the <laughs> it's absolutely fine and the that. actress who plays love i forget her name but she plays a very good character uh you know the replicant who serves jared leto you know she's terrifying she is <laughs> like she, she like like when she like goes up to um uh, the one actor who was in the dark knight and in ant-man i, I don't remember his name but he's been in a lot uh, he's been in like he's been in a lot he's been he's been in a lot with uh denny villeneuve who directed it just that moment when she's like stealing the bones and then like she just like slightly taps him and then he's just like just violently dying and you're like good 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 god <laughs> oh my god she she is terrifying. She's so good. Yeah, I mean, her... Dave Batista is in, like, the beginning of the movie and is excellent. Excellent. And he looks so different from when, when you, where, the way you normally see Dave Batista. He doesn't have, uh, like, his greenish, like, grayish skin. He doesn't have his red, like, flamey tattoos. And he, he isn't literal. Actually, with his character, he brings up some great things. Like, one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is when he says, because you've never seen a miracle. And it talks about this, the whole idea, you know, of, oh, replicants can now, can now birth children, you know? And that makes, that's such a great logical next step for Blade Runner to get into that territory. I never would have thought about that because I was always just like, no, we don't need any more. We're good. We can stop here. And I was just like, oh, oh, this is interesting. Then Denny Villeneuve just goes, what about this? What about babies? What about uh, replicant what babies? What about babies? <laughs> it actually adds a lot more to that Blade Runner, to that universe, and to the point where we're not going to, we're probably not going to get a sequel to this because of the, the way it sort of performed at the box office. But we don't need one, though. We don't need one, but it also leaves room no. where they could hypothetically, could have hypothetically continued. With like a replicant, a replicant human, but I would prefer it just be these two movies. Don't get me wrong; it's just knowing Warner Brothers, they probably right. wanted this to be a franchise at some point. That's that. I feel like that's kind of the typical thing too. With like 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 these revival movie type things again, air quotes, is that there's that prospect of turning it into a franchise. Like it's it's like we were talking about with marketing in the superhero movie last episode. It's just that idea of there's this ingrained fan base especially when it comes to like cult type movies or movies that have that like level of nostalgia that are like kind of modern classics so they're like we have to like we have to try and franchise this like look at Jurassic Park you know that was a big series of movies for for people in the 90s and they decided to bring it back nowhere near as good as uh Blade Runner 2049 but it, it's it's turning into another franchise again but that's that's definitely the drive it seems for a lot of these types of movies so I could definitely see them wanting to do another Blade Runner if they could. Like I said, I would be perfectly fine if it was just those two. For sure. And actually, speaking of Denny Villeneuve, uh, you know, with the last one we talked about how George Miller has has been involved in some capacity or another with all of the Mad Max movies, you know, whether he's, you know, credited on third one and then, of course, the other ones. But 
Ridley Scott is only like a producer on this one, on this movie, who directed the yeah. first Blade Runner, of course. And I believe, I think the screenwriter, one of the screenwriters for the first Blade Runner came back um, as far as like the behind the scenes development. But we got a new director, Denis Villeneuve, who of course has done... Was it Arrival, um, Prisoners, Sicario? Arrival, Prisoners. Yeah, Arrival, Prisoners, Sicario. Um, He did a movie called Enemy with A24 starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Mm -hmm. which is a really crazy movie, and it has spiders in it, and it scares me because I hate spiders. But that's a whole other thing. I remember when I saw Prisoners in theaters, and my first thought was, this feels like a Ridley Scott movie. Mm -hmm. Like, like Like, it has that kind of same... Uh, visual style that same aesthetic that you would see in a like those those wide pan shots and i think part of that is also um roger deakins who was a cinematographer on this movie and has worked with denis villeneuve for like i think pretty much all of his movies but i just i just thought it was funny that like the first thing i think of is ridley scott and then years later he does blade runner it's kind of it's perfect honestly and what's even crazier is that a studio is giving him money to do Dune. And I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> not not even just that. Oh my god, not even just that. He's doing two parts. One and two. He's doing two Dune movies. I think they're just, they're two. really banking on like the, the cult status of uh <laughs> of the dune of the dune property <laughs> but no it's actually it's it's one of those cases where i feel like it is refreshing to get a different take from a different filmmaker on this project it's one thing to have somebody like george miller come in and pretty much truly execute the vision that he's been having in his mind for a long time yeah and then you have somebody who's pro- i would assume villain he was been a fan of blade runner i imagine as like a lot of filmmakers mm-hmm. are and taking that and sort of going, well, what's the next step? How can we advance the story in a way that makes sense to the universe, but creating something new, but also Roger Deakins, like it looks like Blade Runner. It feels like it could be in the same universe as the first one, but it feels its own movie. It's still like its own separate thing. Like though. And the shot that comes to mind is where he's in like the goes to the casino and he's first oh, yeah. going to that area. Oh my God. And you see the scene. orange. And you think, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. Just the super vibrant orange and those like dilapidated like stripper statues. Like that alone, like that is just, oh, it's so iconic. There's so many iconic shots too, speaking of Roger Deakins. Just obviously the iconic shot of Ryan Gosling, Kay, Joe, whatever, uh, uh, standing on that bridge. And you see giant purple Ana de Armas just crouched over like, like, poking him or getting ready to like touch him or something just that shot alone you're like you look like a good joe you do but that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about this movie (laughs) (laughs) but oh like with mad max fury road it's a beautiful amalgamation a beautiful combination of the digital and the practical effects because i i look at behind the scenes shots specifically of the of the orange shot and you would have thought Oh, well, they, of course, just made that into, like, a CG. No, there's all these, like, giant bulbs that are hanging over them that makes everything look orange. And it's just, like, the most ridiculous thing. But you love them because they did that. You have... The scene The, the scene that always blows my mind is when he is about to... About to boink Ana de Armas and, um... <laughs> I, I, for, I forget the other the other chick. The, the, um, the actor from... Uh, she's from... 
what is it? Terminator. She's very good. Yeah, she's in the she's yeah she's from the new Terminator. Terminator. But no, just like the way that they had the because again the scene just for context, Anna de Armas' character jo- Joy is essentially in a relationship with Kay, and obviously they can't have any physical relationship because she's just a hologram, just AI projection, and she notices that he takes somewhat of a liking to a. A hooker essentially that he meets when he's on his case and so she calls the hooker over i know it sounds bad in description but it's actually a really like tender like beautiful moment and so she like tries to sync up with the other person so that it's like like one fluid character and it's kind of amazing how they did that the other thing that that, that is striking to me visually are the scenes in the Tyrell building, which is the building from the first movie, but you get to see it in different offices and things, especially when you get to Love's office, where it looks like she's, it looks like it's like an orange thing where she's underwater and you see like the water ripples or whatever. It's nuts. Or any scene where it looks like it's just Jared, blind Jared Leto in the middle of like this, (laughs) this like square black pool or whatever. And he's just looking at things that's so visually distinct. And just, like, the light is, like, panning around. It's, like, spinning around. So, like, every now and then the light comes back and you see him and then it goes away. It's just inventive, really. It's very inventive. One of the other things, again, I go back to the talk of restraint, is I imagine Warner Brothers was like, look, we gotta have this as a big blockbuster. Things go pew-pew and explode. But, like, the end action scene is not the most thrilling thing, like, conventionally speaking, the most thrilling thing in the world, but it's so simple and down and gritty of just him fighting, uh, uh, Agent K fighting love to save Harrison Ford, who we'll get to in a second. I love that, like, just, they didn't want to do the conventional kablowy, boom, you know, pow. It's like you said, it's it's that, like, it just holds back and yet it still gives you everything that you need you know it's like it's like amazing mm-hmm. sense of portion control which i don't have <laughs> so. Not, not, i don't have that either so you know we're both in the same boat but um you said you were mentioning harrison ford i think that might be like the prime example of like having that sense of reservation because any other movie that would have like the returning character essentially like the 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 main character from the previous installment from years later they usually show up like a good 10 minutes into the movie harrison ford does not show up until an hour into this movie and this movie's two and a half hours i think it's more it's more than an hour i think i feel like it's like an hour 30 like hour 30 or something and we don't see him like ha- more than halfway through the movie it's, it's, and we finally see harrison yeah, it's ford well it's well after ha- it's well after halfway through the movie 100 percent. and it's 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 crazy because like and the funny thing is you're watching it you kind of forget that harrison ford is in it and then when he shows up you're like oh yeah yes there he is okay i totally forgot about him i was just enjoying what i was seeing but that said when they use Harrison Ford, he's used... This might be my favorite late-career Harrison Ford performance. Nothing against Indy or Han, but everything against Indy and Han. I'm sorry, this is the best one. <laughs> it's been reported, too, and it's rather famous that, you know, he and Ridley Scott and some of the other cast members, whatever, they, you know, did not get, get along so well no, at points they, with that production. Yeah. It was crazy, but he is... And, and, so, and I think it shows in his performance, it's not one of his most memorable 
it's memorable because we love Blade Runner, but it's not. I don't. I wouldn't say it's his best work. But when you see him in this, he it feels like he cares and he has this world weariness that he brings to the table. You know, mm-hmm. and it's oh, he like it's just so so good. Like in certain lines, what he just says when he's just like, I like that song. And it's funny too. We talk about like he had that kind of like he he had the like that famous like kind of back and forth with Ridley Scott, especially when it came to the whole discussion of if Rick Deckard was a uh, a replicant or not, which I think in if you watch the final cut, I think it does obviously make the case, especially with the whole eye visual. Yeah, because that one, the final cut is is pretty much Ridley, and that's that's his that's the definitive statement where it's just like, yep, he's he's a replicant. It's a replicant, folks. And it's like he's yep, he's definitely a robot. Hundred percent. I just think it's kind of interesting that of all his famous characters, like, you know, Indy, Rick Deckard, Han Solo, you know, the one that he has, I, it, it just doesn't seem like he had the same kind of connection, say, like he had with, like, Han Solo, but yet the one he wants to die was Han Solo. <laughs> but Rick Deckard's like, yeah, he, he can live, it's fine. <laughs> I don't know, I just, it's just a random thought I just had. I thought that was kind of interesting, but I 100% agree with you. That's this, actually that, a good point. Right? Like, it, it's weird that like you know he he seems to have like more of like an investment in Harrison Ford or in Harrison Ford what in Han Solo but in in Rick Deckard it just seemed like you know it was a it was a character i played him but then it's like no han dies you know what i think it is <laughs> i th- i think it's too wet where where with with uh with Rick with Rick Deckard you know like i said i don't think it's one of his best performances but he's able to sort of like bring that back yeah with um with this movie and try to get like another chance at it whereas the other ones where it's just like his best work is in new hope and empire strikes back and then in return of the jedi he's just kind of there <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then like last crusade is such a great ending and listen 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 i know i don't i don't have the script yet but you know when james mangold's indiana jones he's going to die you, you just know, know that's it. going to happen. You know he's just going to be like, listen, Indy, Indy's just going to, like, it's going to go through the whole adventure, and then he's they're going to come back through the temple, he's going to accidentally step on something, and he's going to get spiked <laughs> to death, and everyone's going to be like, no, and you're not even going to see it. It's just going to be his hat. It's going to hit the ground. And, and he's, the John Wayne moves, dun, 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 dun. And then you're just gonna see like everyone sad, like no. And then Shia LaBeouf's gonna show up randomly, like I wasn't in this whole movie at all. What happened? It's gonna be a whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) But knowing James James Van Gogh, Harris Ford look at each other like, "Yep, you're gonna die. Yep, yep. That's what's gonna happen today. All all right, I guess we're so uh, right into the script. (laughs) He's dying. It's oh man. So all right, but. With At least Deckard got to have a happy ending. So more or less, more or less a happy ending. And he lives, you know, which is nice. It's actually really, it, it, it's it, it's amazing to me that these with these two movies, they're two. I would say two of the best revival movies out there. You know, best, they're constantly. The ones, there's a lot yeah. of people. A lot of people. Some people would tap them as some of their favorite movies. But I also find it interesting too, especially with Mad Max. Mad Max, I would argue, with Fury Road. You don't need the other ones. It's it stands very well, I think, on its own. A hundred percent, and I think part of that too is also that Mel Gibson's not in it. 
I think that helps a little bit yeah. because Mel Gibson. Oh yeah, for sure, is very much ingrained. If you, especially if you've seen all the other Mad Max, he is Max for some people. But what Tom Hardy does with the character is very much his own, and it works incredibly well, almost better. And maybe that's just because you know you see Mel Gibson now, and you're like, uh, uh-uh. uh, no, go away, please. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, yeah, like it does very much feel like its own entity. And I would even argue the same for, um, to some degree, uh, with Blade Runner. And yeah, like I feel like Blade Runner is more connected to that original film, obviously, with like Harrison Ford showing up and everything. Uh, Mad Max, though, is 100%. Like, you don't really need to watch any of the other ones. You could just sit and watch Fury Road and have an amazing experience. Yeah, I, I think with with Blade Runner, they do they do try to catch you up, but I think it's it's so much better. It's a much more enriching experience if you watch the first the original Blade Runner and then you watch mm-hmm. twenty forty nine with Blade Runner. It's one of the most interesting experiences because there were many people at my screening when I saw it opening weekend. Okay, neither and one of the other. I neither. Yeah, 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 and yeah. it was this older guy. One of the. One of the only other people in the theater with myself and my brother was this older guy who had seen it at a uh, Magnificent Seven screening, which that's another story for another day. <laughs> but this dude is it's just one of those people who has these weird outlandish opinions. And we walk out of the movie after it happens. We see it in Dolby, one of the best experiences I've ever had. And he just goes, the hell is that? was that all about? <laughs> I think he just wanted to see a Harrison Ford movie and figured, okay, I remember seeing Blade Run in the 80s. It was fine. You know, I'll see it a Harrison yes. Ford movie. Harrison, I liked his coat. He his had a coat gun. so good. It's awesome. I, I love it when he says, line, tell him I'm eating. You know, it's all. It's a good time. And that, that one dude, I don't remember who it is, but, you know, he's like telling him things in Japanese. And you're like, okay, it's a movie. <laughs> 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 oh, oh man my, but my gosh but yeah these are definitely the best example because like that's the big thing right now is that like i was saying nostalgia is a big thing and i think both mad max blade runner and maybe even a couple other movies are kind of prime examples of yeah sometimes you get something like say like a disney remake that just feels like you're just banking on something that people love just to get some money but that doesn't mean that it's it's kind of a proven thing that you know a lot of people are like this doesn't need a revival or this doesn't need a sequel this doesn't need that but then you have Mad Max Fury Road and you have Blade Runner and you're like maybe you can given given the right person involved like this is going to be controversial I'm going to say it I'm sorry but I'm saying it you could probably do Back to the Future again <laughs> I backed up <laughs> I'm going to phrase it like this a good movie can come from anywhere and you'd be really surprised, like, looking at some movies yeah. that is just like, oh, wow, you can actually make good remakes. It's been done before. You can make a good sequel. It's been done. You know, you just need the right approach, the right film. It just, it's just like, it's that magic trick that happens with all movies where the right team comes together and whether they intend to or not, makes something special. Very special. But at the same time, don't, don't do Back to the Future. I'm kidding. Don't do it. Just leave it alone. It's fine. It's one of the very few probably like perfect <laughs> movies. And before somebody comes, well, actually, there's a plot hole here. I don't care. I don't care. Okay. As a movie, as an emotional experience, perfect. That's it's, all. Sh- shut up. It's it's awesome. 
Anyway, so this As is my question. As you see Richard, Richard with the very mature response. Yes. Because I am a very mature person. He's a big boy. Anyway, as a man, as as a manly man that I am, I, this is my question for you. <laughs> oh, yes, sir. Um, <laughs> so instead of asking you what uh, movie you'd want or uh, what uh, you think people should watch it or not, whatever, this is what I'm going to ask you: Is there an older, like, classic movie that you think they could do another one of? Like, like as a as either a movie or even a TV show, is there something that you think they could they could bring back that would benefit from like modern technology, a specific director? What are your thoughts on that? This is I wish I knew this question before because that is a great <laughs> question. And honestly, <laughs> honestly, if you're on like on any of our social media, please let us know your responses to this question. Please, this is actually this is actually fantastic. Oh my goodness! So, seeing as like most move, most movie, a lot of movies that I like are usually wrapped up pretty nicely. Um, gosh, you know, I, there's so many answers I could give. I could really give to this, and it's it's I, difficult. One, I just answer, need one. <laughs> one. I just okay. need one. I'm gonna go with E.T. the extraterrestrial. I think it'd be oh. interesting. It'd be interesting to get a a continuation of that. I mean, again, I think the first one's perfect as it is. You don't need anything. Exactly. The special edition changes that they did were silly, and that's why I'm glad I can just watch the theatrical version on Blu-ray. But, <laughs> but um, I think it's I think it would be interesting to have some of those characters um, come back older, and or just explore ET's world maybe a little bit with technology that you didn't have. Like I've yeah. been on the ET ride. And it was it's it's the last of the opening day attractions at Universal Orlando that's still open, and it shows because it, it, like the animatronics <laughs> barely work, and it's it, it's like uh, 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 it, it, and I love the ride. Don't get me wrong, it's fantastic, and I would go I recommend it. Just go on it, but I, I, I can imagine all the things like think about like movies like Avatar and like how we've pushed the envelope with creating all 3D environments. But I think you could. St- combine like practical elements in it as well yeah i think et would be one but again that said it would never happen and et is perfect <laughs> as it is but anything's possible i mean it's 2020 possible. <laughs> anything's possible my answer to this this is technically something that's already in the works so it's kind of cheating but you um <laughs> hey i heard that <laughs> i can hear you I love you. It's okay. <laughs> so, part of this is partially because I wanted to learn more about the director of the the Paddington movies because obviously I talked about the Paddington movies. I love those. Um, the director is Paul King, and he uh, was attached, and I think is still attached. I think to, I think they're still working on this to a, uh, a Willy Wonka, I think show or a like a like a movie or something. I know they already did the, the the second adaptation of the book, the Tim Burton version, which, you know, depending on who you ask, mostly people don't like it, but that's a whole other conversation. But if if Paul King were to take the Willy Wonka concept and then continue it, I think he as a director could really, like, do an amazing job. It obviously depends on who they would get as Willy Wonka because he's such an important character and because Gene Wilder is so established as that character but when you have like when you have like the right person that you think just fits that material 
you kind of just like go, I kind of want to see that. So that would be my answer. I think it's a pretty good answer. I, I like that. That's uh, that's pretty solid. Even though it's cheating. I'm sorry. It's cheating. But <laughs> I think we bring, up weird, we bring up uh, two very weird examples. E.T. and Wonka. Crossover. <laughs> Next double feature. <laughs> E.T. gets a uh, gobstopper. But he sells it to Slugworth. What? And, they, and then E.T. goes on the boat. <laughs> and he's just like, it looks just like home. <laughs> and, and then he just sees like the animals getting killed on the boat. And he goes, ah, E.T. phone home. E.T. phone home. <laughs> With that said, uh, like E.T., we're going to go back up into our uh, our spaceships and go away for a week. And let you guys think about Mad Max Fury Road and Blade Runner 2049. What are some of your favorite revival movies, so to speak? And what is something that you would revive if you had the opportunity to do so? Let us know on our social media. Thank you so much for tuning in to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Have a good night, folks. Thank you for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. The sponsor for today's episode is masks. Please just wear them. Like, this isn't even silly voice me. This is actual me. Just please wear masks. Um, just do it. It's not hard. And it saves lives, actually. Just do it. The music for today's episode was brought to us by John and Kenny Armstrong. Great job, you two. And, of course, a hint for next week's episode. My name is Alexander Paddington. My name is Alexander Paddington. And if I continue to sing this song, we'll probably get copyright stricken. So I won't do that. I won't do that.